welcome to Season 2 of New Creation Conversations, a podcast devoted to helping followers of Jesus live more fully as reflections of the new creation. I'm Dr. Scott Daniels, and I've spent the last 30 years as a pastor and professor, with one foot in university and seminary settings, and the other squarely in the life of pastoral leadership in the local church. I've worked hard to keep these two worlds that have so much in common and have a great deal to learn from each other from getting too far apart. It isn't easy. So each week, I sit down and have a conversation with old friends and new friends who are doing great scholarly work and hear how their study and insights might inform not only the mission of the local church, but the life of the everyday follower of Jesus as well. I still have a lot to learn to be all that Christ wants me to be. So thanks for joining me on these weekly explorations as we receive the grace we need to live into the new creation together. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 101 of New Creation Conversations. This week's conversation is with my wonderful friend and gifted thinker, Dr. Kara Powell. Kara is Chief of Leadership Formation, the Executive Director of Fuller Youth Institute, and Professor of Youth and Family Ministry at Fuller Seminary. She holds degrees from Stanford, Bethel Seminary, and her PhD is in Practical Theology from Fuller. Kara also serves as a youth and family strategist for Orange and has served in a number of local church ministries. Just two or three years ago, Christianity Today named Kara as one of the 50 women to watch in Christian leadership. She's written and contributed to a number of books and has been on the podcast with me before. This time, Kara and I talk about her soon-to-be-released book written by her and by her research partners. The book's title is Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship, published by Baker Books, and it has a release date of just a few days from now, November the 7th. Building on two decades of Fuller Institute's youth work and incorporating extensive new research and interviews, Faith Beyond Youth Group identifies the reasons youth ministry often flops with both short-term and long-term goals, and And they offer instead five ways adult youth leaders can cultivate character for a lifetime of growing closer to Jesus rather than drifting away. One reviewer calls the book a game-changing resource for anyone in youth ministry. It's a wonderful resource and an enlightening conversation. So thanks for sitting in on these new creation conversations. Here's my conversation with Dr. Kara Powell. Oh, it's so fun uh, to get to reconnect with a friend this morning and have a great conversation about uh, young people and their spiritual formation with somebody who knows what they're talking about when we talk about these things. Kara Powell, so good to see you and uh, get to have a conversation with you about this new book, Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship, uh, soon to be released from Baker. Congratulations and great to see you. Thank you. Great to have a conversation yeah, Today. so we, we've talked once before, but it's been a while. So remind mm-hmm. folks just a little bit about kind of your journey and what led you to the kind of work that you do these days. Yeah, well, I was raised by a single mom and then a stepdad who loved Jesus. And uh, so I feel like I largely grew up in the church and count that a real blessing. And then in college, I felt the Lord drawing me into full-time ministry. I met my first woman who was doing full-time youth ministry, which was really important for me to see that live visual aid. I had all sorts of men encouraging me to consider ministry, but it meant so much to actually get connected with a woman um, who was was and is a model for me. 
I went to seminary and was a youth pastor in San Diego. And then Fuller Seminary was starting this new research center um, where the goal was to really listen to the needs of churches and families, adults who are investing in young people, and let that listening guide the research that Fuller was doing and then turn that research into practical resources. And I read about that and I thought, wow, that's exactly who I want to be. I want to I want one foot in the world of academic research and one foot in the world of real life young people and families, churches, ministries. That's that's where I want to stand. And so for the last now, gosh, 18 years, I've been a faculty member at Fuller Seminary here in Pasadena and the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute, which equips diverse leaders and parents by turning research into resources. And also now I'm the chief of leadership formation at Fuller. So I oversee <laughs> all of I oversee all of Fuller's non-degree training. Uh, we have a number of centers who stand with one foot in the world of research and one foot in the world of the real life questions of the church and the world. So um, it's a super exciting season and role for me, Scott. That's great. I, yeah, I was going to ask you, usually you have about six titles. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, so yeah, that's getting at least that a couple true. of them in. Yeah. And maybe most importantly for, uh, for this discussion, I'm also a mom of yeah. a 17-year-old, a 21-year-old today is her birthday, oh, and wow. a 23-year-old. 20, a so Dave and I are, are living the life of real life, adulting in teenage, college, and young adult uh, children, which, which is a real joy. Yeah, well, how, most, so how, of, most of the time, much of the, most time. of the time, it's a real yes. joy. So, yeah. I have learned I that they don't get any less expensive the older. Ah, ones. okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, our last one gets married in June, and I I said to you earlier, I hope to get them all off the payroll eventually. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, well, well, we are loving having one done with college. Like that feels oh, significant oh. financially, so we're grateful for at least that. Yeah, so. How long has Fuller Youth Institute been around? Uh, 18 years. I was okay, the so first executive director. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Carol, what what are the kinds of questions that, well, let me shape it this way. What, what are the kind of questions you were asking 18 years ago? And huh. what are the kinds of questions that you, that now fuel the research that, that Fuller Youth Institute does? Are they different or, or have, are you kind of asking the same questions, but maybe getting slightly different answers? Let me start with one that's the same, and then let me add one that's new, newer. Uh, maybe we should have been asking 18 years ago, but we weren't. So I think one that's the same is how do we help churches and ministries prioritize young people? Like that, that's been a question since day one. Um, much of our work is with youth leaders, and, and that's wonderful. And we can train every youth leader on the planet. And if senior leaders aren't also engaged, then, you know, every church hits a ceiling. And so how do we help senior pastors, lead pastors, all leaders reimagine ministry with young people? Um, you know, that's kind of a constant question that we navigate. Uh, I, I think a newer one that is inspiring our work is, uh, it was, actually comes from a young person, a 15-year-old who said uh, a few years ago, uh, why is the church answering questions I'm not asking? Mm -hmm. um, and that was like an arrow in my wow. heart and mind. Yeah. Why is the church answering questions I'm not asking? And so... We're deeply committed to understanding today's young people and the questions that that they are asking. 
Um, and so we do a lot of listening to young people and, and trying to figure out what are their losses and longings and how does Jesus relate to those. Okay. As you and Jen and Brad worked on Faith Beyond Youth Group, what, uh, what were the kinds of questions? What were the things that led to wanting to write this book? Yeah. So, uh, again, it, it, there were questions on a few levels. One is on the youth leader level looking at youth leaders who feel demoralized, who feel like they're working every week best they know how to invest in young people. And when I say working, I don't necessarily mean employed, but you know, serving every week, whether they're volunteers, bivocational, full-time, whatever role they might have. Youth leaders investing in young people and then feel like, why are my kids not any different? Um, and you know, if you look at the data on leaders in general, which I'm sure you're aware of, Scott, you know, Barna Group did some research recently that over 40% of pastors have seriously contemplated leaving ministry in the last year. The youth cartel did a parallel study with youth leaders, and it's over 30% of youth leaders have considered leaving ministry in the last year. And I, there's some fascinating research out of Harvard Business Review that talks about burnout is sometimes because we're working too hard. Sometimes it's because we're not seeing fruit, we're not seeing results. And so that creates this feeling of depletion. And so, you know, we're, we're pretty passionate about figuring out with the time and energy that leaders have, how can they best invest it to see the best kingdom fruit? So that was one question. The other question is, has to do with young people, again, themselves, who they look at the church, they look at the church broadly. They look at individual congregations in the U.S. And what they see is division. What they see is unkindness. What they see is conflict. They're not often struck by the love, <laughs> the hope, the joy of churches. And so, you know, no wonder this generation that doesn't trust institutions in general similarly doesn't trust churches like you know we we are kind of at the bottom of this generation's trust list like with politicians we're kind of neck and neck with politicians <laughs> so so like how do how for the good of this generation and really all generations how do we how do we be the loving fruit of the spirit centered church that god longs for us to be so so both things. How do we help youth leaders really uh, invest in the right, the right activities, the right principles to see fruit? And then for the good of young people, how can we be the loving church that's magnetic instead of off-putting? Yeah. So as somebody who uh, has, you know, in my academic interest, loves to think about virtue ethics and those kinds of things. Yeah. I thought it was great that really at the center of the book is the question of character. And so- yeah. How do you guys define character and and what's your team trying to address related to character? Yeah, well, our work in Faith Beyond Youth Group was largely funded by a grant from the John Templeton Foundation, mm -hmm. who has done quite a bit of work in character and virtue development. And they specifically wanted the Fuller Youth Institute to try to understand how could how could other research on character and virtue best be translated into a youth group context. And so we started by talking to youth leaders, even about the words character and virtue. Um, and those weren't real warm and fuzzy words uh, to <laughs> youth leaders. You know, it, it, felt, it felt, let alone young people, but, you know, it felt like, 
a list of behaviors. It felt like something, you know, their grandma was really into his character. <laughs> For a lot of youth leaders, character was equated with kind of a parent's desires that their young people be, if I can be really direct, Scott, like nice, successful virgins and that right. that be what the youth group produce. And so no wonder we're not attracted to character if that's how we're defining character. And so what Brad Griffin, Jen Bradbury and I, and really the whole team at FYI, the way that we've defined character is living out Jesus's goodness every day by loving God and our neighbors. Hmm. And so like, let's center character on love and let's center character on who Jesus is and Jesus's goodness. Let's let our character be more about what we're for than what we're against. And so that was our attempt to respond to these questions of, you know, how do we help youth leaders see more results? And how do we help young people see a church that reflects the, who Jesus wants us to be? In the book, you talk about some character gaps, I think is yeah. what you call it, that faced yeah. this generation. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what some of those character gaps are. Yeah. Well, you know, again, for young people, they look at the nearest church, or if I can be even more direct, the nearest Christian, mm -hmm. the nearest Christian leader they know. And sometimes they don't see a very loving person. Sometimes they see a very flawed person. My daughter had an interesting experience two or three weeks ago where in the span of a half an hour, she heard of two Christian leaders who had moral struggles, mm -hmm. um, two leaders that she knew personally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting to process with her. Yes, we're all sinners and we're saved by Jesus's grace. And at the same time, there's so much that young people are seeing that shows a lack of integrity, that shows hypocrisy between what we say and espouse and what we do. So, uh, you know, one big character gap is all they're not seeing in Jesus followers right now. I think if I was going to connect with another character gap, um, it would be how our teaching, and I say our because I'm certainly, I've been part of this, how our teaching often isn't connected to their everyday life. And so we actually spent a fair amount of time in the book talking about how do we really teach the time we do have in youth group, how do we help it connect the dots with life outside of youth group? And so that's another gap between what I hear about in church and the choices that I make every day. And we, we want to see that gap close or be eliminated. Hmm. For folks who are unfamiliar with this kind of research, talk uh, just before we get into the five ways, talk about yeah. what, what does research like this look like? Um, what did, uh, in the light of the gaps, how did you guys structure the research and yeah. what kind of questions did you try to get at as you talk to young people? Yeah. Well, typically the best research starts with a literature review. And so yeah. we did that. We surveyed academic research as well as more popular sources to try to understand how character and virtue, what we already know about how character and virtue connect with faith formation or discipleship. Um, then, then we did a survey of over 364 uh, youth leaders from around the country to understand what they were seeing and what was working for them when it comes to character and virtue development. Um, we followed that up with phone interviews with almost 100 leaders, which were very diverse in denomination, church size, and ethnicity. And then lastly, and my favorite part, Scott, is we did site visits where we visited seven actual churches 
Um, and we, some of them were, some of them were our like amazing churches, but we actually tried to uh, spend time with more everyday churches right. to, so that, you know, that, so that we had ideas that really any church could implement or be inspired by. And so, so it was a mixture of, you know, research on what, what others have done, a lot of time with youth leaders, and then finally the deep dives with site visits where we spent time with young people, volunteers, parents, senior leadership teams, et cetera. So after all of that, uh, your team got together, went through the research, came up with five ways uh, to cultivate character. So let's talk about those. Uh, the first is to cultivate trust. Yeah. So uh, what do you mean when you say that character is built at the speed of trust? It's a great line. Yeah. Well, it's not our line. It's Stephen Covey's okay. line, but yeah. um, but it is. And, you know, Scott, I think I feel like that's been a mantra for me personally, not just in this research, but across the board, that almost everything is built at the speed of trust. The speed of trust is what determines how friendships move forward, how marriages unfold, how parenting works, how colleagues get along, how discipleship happens. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I just think this is an across the board relational principle that we can move at the speed of trust. And as I hinted at before, right now with young people, they're not trusting institutions, um, including the church. They're trusting influencers on social media more than they're trusting institutions. Yeah. And so we have our work cut out for us. Um, you know, we one of the ways that we describe this generation, Gen Z, bordering into Gen Alpha, is these three words that they are anxious, adaptive, and diverse. So anxious when you know with everything we're seeing with mental health challenges. Adaptive, this is a super creative and innovative, you know, cohort of young people. And then diverse, this is the most ethnically and culturally diverse generation we've ever seen. We, we crossed the line in 2020 in the U.S. that now over 50% of those under 18 are young people of color, wow. uh, which I think is something to really celebrate. And that percentage is only increasing in, in all generations, but again, especially those under 18. And so... So how, so then a, a, the first point on our five point compass of building faith beyond youth group is about how do we cultivate trust with this anxious, adaptive and diverse generation? Hmm. Here's the, here's the good news that I would want to offer to all, all adults, parents, grandparents, caregivers, guardians, leaders, et cetera, is, you know, trust is built in small everyday acts. It's not about the grand gestures. It's about the simple ways that we listen to a young person, that we, when we ask, hey, how can I pray for you? And a young person tells us something that a few days or a week later, we loop back to them and say, hey, I've been praying. How's it going? It's, it's showing up when you say you're going to show up. Um, and if I can just tell one story from our research, mm -hmm. and we unpack this in our book, um, one of the really inspiring examples of somebody who was amazing at building trust is a 71-year-old um, named Slick. And we actually have permission to share his name. Most of the names we have to change, but we have permission <laughs> to share Slick's name. That's his nickname. Yeah, you would not have made that one up. No, no, exactly. No, we wouldn't. Wouldn't have. And, um, and I mean, let me just share a couple quotes from Slick from his interview. He said this. I like to think that if Jesus walked the earth today, he'd spend a lot of time at seventh grade tennis matches. And that's what Slick is doing. He's spending time at seventh grade <laughs> tennis matches. And, you know, and, and he, 
he part of why he builds trust is he doesn't just show up, but he's stable and consistent in young people's lives. So this is something else that he said. And again, age 71, he used the term ghosted, which means you get kind of ignored or right. a student doesn't respond. He said, when you get ghosted by kids, you can never ghost them back. That kid is hurting and needs to know I still care. Wow. So, you know, he just had a consistency and a constancy that built trust. Last thing I'll say about Slick is uh, before the pandemic, he, as he's volunteering in his youth ministry, the middle schoolers would walk across the street from the church after youth group and hang out in McDonald's and grab Sundays and shakes and fries and all that until parents came and picked them up. Well, McDonald's, first the restaurant closed, then the restaurant opened, but only drive through. So Slick bought a used limo <laughs> so that he could fill that back seat with a handful of middle schoolers and take them through the McDonald's drive through. That's great. Now, you know, do not get in line behind him. That's, right, what, right. that's all I'm hearing. Just don't get in line behind him. Yes, that would be a lengthy order for sure. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, you know, and that that is slick. I mean, buying a limo is that a small gesture? I don't yeah, know, but I don't know, but, but I mean, but that's a reflection of slick listening, sure. empathizing, and so the kids love him, and he's like the moral compass for that youth group. Um, and so he's, he's like the character defining compass for that youth group. So, so yes, it starts the five points of the compass. We, we outline in the most common chronological order, not the only order, but yeah. in general, it starts with how we as adults build relationships that earn trust. Okay. Before we move on to the second one, there's a couple of things you said. I just want to real quick follow up on. Yeah. So we're moving from Gen Z to Gen Alpha. So we're, yeah. we're, we had to start over. We're out of letters. So we yes, made, right, exactly. made a Greek alphabet and start over. Exactly, exactly. Um, so what, what's in sociological talk, where's the kind of break that's happening between Gen Z and Gen Alpha? Yeah, yeah. Great question. And this is what's interesting about generational cohorts, Scott, is it's both an art and a science to right. kind of define them. And so what's interesting, though, is that typically the generational cohorts are getting a little uh, shorter used to be more like 20 years. Now it's right. more like 15 years. So most folks are defining Gen Z as those who are, were, were born from, let me do the math on this right offhand. Um, those who were born from like, uh, 20, 2010 or so, um, starting, uh, so maybe 2005, again, this is where it's, it's right. a more of an art than a science. Sure. So, but they tend to be teenagers, college students, young adults now with Gen Alpha being just behind them, kind of an elementary age. So, but, but we, we do take, we, we refer to young people more broadly yep. than we do the different generations because the delineations are a tiny bit arbitrary. So, sure. yeah. Well, and reading some recent research on generations, it is more of an art. And science than yeah. anything, yeah. And yeah. and uh, this researcher was was saying in the past we often would see generational breaks with kind of major historical events or life events, and increasingly generations are being defined by new transformational technology. Technology, and, totally. Right. Have totally. It's, yeah, it's interesting. The other is you mentioned this is a highly adaptive generation that's coming through, yeah. but yeah. you also said this is a highly anxious one. What, yeah. what's, 
um, I see that a lot. What's adding to their anxiety, Kara? Why is yeah. why is this such an anxious generation? Yeah. I will say um, we get more questions from adults, leaders, and family members about mental health than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, I don't know a family with teenage girls that's not navigating mental health challenges. The research tells me they exist, but mm-hmm. I can't name one. And teenage boys are just a half step behind. Mm-hmm. Um, we honestly don't fully know why this generation is uh, is more anxious, more stressed, more depressed, more suicidal. I can let me just name a handful of things that seem to be correlated. Sure. Um, one is that this is a very busy generation, and so that plays a big part. Secondly, the way that we've parented this generation um, as helicopter parents who have kind of swooped in. And protected our kids from difficulty, from challenge. There are some who think that maybe young people don't have the muscles of resilience that they need. Almost everybody points to technology. um, Because what's interesting is when you look at when cell phones really became, smartphones especially, became ubiquitous, there are some shifts in risk behaviors in young people. Mm -hmm. Um, The good news is that drinking, sex, partying, those are actually down a little bit. Right the risk behaviors of anxiety, stress, even suicide are up. So, you know, one way to think about that is the risk behaviors that young people engage in with each, with each other are down. (laughs) Right. So, you know, what they, what they, we used to do on Friday and Saturday nights out with others are down, but the risk behaviors of that young person looking on their phone and seeing all the fun that everybody else is having that they're not on a Friday or Saturday night, that's up. And then I'll just say, you know, the last, I could go on and on, but I'll just name one last factor. And that is, there's just uh, brain chemistry and brain biology that's a reality here. And yeah. and so, you know, with some young people, they just like the heart's an organ, the liver's an organ, the brain's an organ, and they actually need some some prescription medicine to help them navigate. So there's, there's that as a cause too. So it, there's kind of a constellation of factors involved. Yeah, no, the factors associated with isolation versus community are huge, right? Yeah. I just want to correct one thing you said when you said the things we used to do. I never got (laughs) invited to those parties. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're a good Nazarene, Scott. So I say. Sure. (laughs) It took a while to pay off, but it finally. When did you graduate from high school? Let me ask. 1984. Okay. And I was 87. So yeah, we were were youth group kids in the 80s. Woo! The Petra generation. Um, so, so the second one uh, is to, to model growth. And you, you see, guys now say, you've got me going like Michael W. Smith. I oh, mean, you've no. got me on a whole line listen, here, Scott. Listen, yeah. I mean, we didn't have, we were not cool, but we do have some of the best music in the history of. of for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> of what? Of well, like, of, of dot, dot, kind, dot. I, I was going to say, but that's okay, a little strong. Okay. That's a little strong. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so how is character caught? Rather yeah. than in terms of modeling growth. Yeah. So this is the second point on the compass. Mm-hmm. After we've built trust, then we move toward modeling growth. Um, and what I, I will say, one of the things that's surprised me about the research, and it shouldn't have, but I was just struck by this again, is when we spent time with young people, what they wanted to see to help build faith beyond youth group wasn't... Uh, Christ following adults who had it all together. Like that's not, that, that wasn't that appealing to them. That wasn't inspiring to 
live a robust life of faith. What they wanted to see and hear and be exposed to was adults who were sharing their struggles too. Um, adults who were sometimes doubting things about God, adults who are navigating their own relational challenges, their own, their own ups and down at work, whatever it might be. Now, you know, I think we need to be careful here because sometimes adults who invest in young people, we overshare and kind of emotionally vomit on our young people. And that's not, that's not what we're after, but I think there are many of us, and I will say us, right. Who, so I'm, I'm including myself here, first person, plural, who we probably undershare our struggles, even with the young people closest to us. Um, hmm. I, I've, I've had a challenging personnel situation at my work at Fuller. And without going into all the details, I've shared it, especially with our oldest son, our 23-year-old son, just so that he's got a glimpse that you know not everything in mom's life because she follows Jesus is rosy and happy. And what's interesting, Scott, is since I shared it with him a few weeks ago, like that's what he's asking follow-up questions with me about. Um, He's living at home with us for a few months. And if we get to have dinner together or get to watch a football game together, and he, he wants to touch base with me about how I'm doing, he asks, how's that personnel situation going? Like, he's really curious, how is mom navigating this tough situation? And so, so uh, for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways of modeling growth is yes, let's, let's absolutely model, you know, as, as Paul describes in first Corinthians 11, one, follow my example as I follow Christ. Like there's a lot of the fruit of the spirit that we want young people to, uh, to, to replicate that hopefully they see in us. And we're real life people with real life struggles. And how is Jesus how is Jesus present in the midst of those? Young people want to hear that too. Yeah. People often ask me, you know, everybody in my family are ministers and my first two kids have been ordained in the last few years. And, huh. uh, you know, I always joke, we have no other marketable skills, but the other <laughs> reason that, that I feel like my kids have in part stayed in the church is because they haven't had an overly idealistic view of the church. Yeah. We have celebrated the really great things and beautiful things always. And yeah, but at the same time, they've known the, yeah. not only the mistakes others have made, but mistakes we've made in leadership that we've had to apologize yeah. for in ways that we've had to work at being the, that kind of community together. Can I ask you a follow-up question to that, Scott? Because I, I agree with everything you just said. And I also think sometimes parents, guardians, step-parents make the mistake of being too negative about their church in front of their young people, their own kids and stepkids. So it understandably, you know, when on the way home from church, the front seat is complaining about everything that's wrong in the church and the back seat of young people is absorbing that. I think that can turn young people off. And I've had a number of parents tell me, gosh, I wish I could go back to when my kids were in the back seat and not be so negative, you know, every time we were driving home from church. So like, how, how do you put both seem true? Right. Right. And since I know a lot of podcast listeners are leaders, how did you and your wife kind of navigate that? Yeah. uh, Well, I was raised with parents in ministry who often talked very positively about, uh, uh, my dad would, my dad was great at never acting like we were obligated to anything. And so mm. my dad would often say to me on the way home, can you believe we, 
we had to show up today, but all these mm. people showed up and there were, nice. it wasn't that beautiful today, how the, you know, the spirit showed up or, and nice. I think with my kids, um, you know, one of the stories we often tell uh, in our family is uh, we had a really tragic death when I was there in Pasadena mm. of a young woman uh, who died after a long battle with cancer. Um, but she died on Noah's 16th birthday. Oh. And so uh, Deb and I had to go and, um, the family wanted us to be there in the room when they, they yeah. removed life support from her. And it, it, you know, it'd been a long journey, but and we were apologizing to Noah for the way that it, yeah. it kind of messed up his, this important birthday for him. Yeah. But we, in that conversation, you know, we were crying and, but I said, you know, Noah, th- this is really hard to take on other people's burdens, but at the same time, and he even said, yeah, dad, but there's really, it's so beautiful mm. how you got you and mom get to journey with people through nice. and, and people invite you into those. And so nice. I do think, Kara, yeah, there are ways where we constantly talk about the beauty of the body of Christ, and yeah. it, but not ignore the yeah. words that we have. And uh, Good word. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There's still a lot to come in my conversation with Kara. However, I want to take just a moment and encourage you to get connected to her new book, Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship, published by Baker Books with a release date of November 7. If you're listening to this podcast before the 7th, you can pre-order the book from Baker or from Amazon in hardback or electronic editions. I believe an audio edition will also be available after November 7th. If you're a pastor, youth minister, parent, or someone who loves and works with young people on a regular basis, I highly recommend the book to you. If you're a regular listener and are enjoying these podcasts, do us a favor. Go to the podcast page on whatever podcast service you use. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't, and then leave us a rating and maybe even a review. Your input will help others find us. Also, if you haven't done it yet, like our Facebook page at New Creation Conversations. It's a good way for us to keep in contact with you and let you know of the great conversations coming each week. Thanks for staying connected to these New Creation Conversations. Now let me get back to my conversation with Kara Powell. So in an information age, you guys say, hey, pay attention to formation. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little less information, maybe a little for, more formation. Uh, so yeah. just say a few words about formation and, and uh, what that looks like. Teaching for formation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that word. And, you know, I often equate it to discipleship, mm-hmm. where it's really about changing both who we are and who we do to more closely reflect Jesus is best for us. Um, And, you know, this is where I mentioned this before that I think a lot of times we teach cognitively and not holistically. So, you know, kids know the Noah story. They know the Isaac story. They know uh, some of Jesus's miracles, but but it's like this this nice um, colorized cartoon version that isn't really making a difference in how they think about God, how they experience Jesus today. And so that's fine. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Nope, nope, nope. It was it was a scam call, even. But um, <laughs> so sorry about that, Scott. That's fine. Uh, so, so back to teaching for formation. So, you know, how do we have a process that, sure, we can teach some of those important stories of scripture, 
but it's more about how how those stories shape how I think about myself, how I sh- how I think about God's story, and how I think about my part in God's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's much more it's much more about application. It's much more about the bigger narrative of who we are in God's story than it is kind of these isolated episodes out of the Bible. Yeah. I know you and I are both friends and fans of Jamie Smith and mm-hmm. uh, and learning from the ground up. Is it possible, you guys wrestle with this a little bit, but part of the challenge is, is it possible to teach for transformation when you're only seeing kids an hour a week? Or Yeah. Uh, I know that's a huge question in itself, but yeah. Um, what are some ways for for those who yeah. work with youth to be able to yeah. try to do that when when time is much more limited than it was before? Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about the '80s, and you know, when I was a youth pastor in the '90s in a fairly large church that drew kids from kind of a 20 mile radius in San Diego, um, you know, our most active youth group kids we would see two to three times a week, and what a lot of youth leaders say today is their most active youth group kids, they'll say two or three times a month. Right. Like and at one of their, some of their most committed kids between sports, between family conflicts, et cetera, like we're seeing them two or three times a month. And this is where I think it's all the more important for churches and ministries to partner with families. Right. And I love the good work that comes out of Orange, where the whole heart of Orange is how do we take the yellow, which is the light of Christ in the church, and partner it with the red, that's the heart of love in families. And that's ultimately best for young people's formation is when the two are together. So one of the surprises in the book so far is... As parents and step-parents, guardians, grandparents have gotten their hands on it, they're saying, wow, this is relevant for us, too, as we think about the kind of conversations we want to have, as we think about trust we want to build, as we think about what we want to model, which, you know, uh, we, you and I, as we were talking about that, Scott, what we model, we, we went to our own families, right? right? And so, I, you know, while we really wrote Faith Beyond Youth Group primarily for youth leaders, that's been one of the surprises as people have been reading it, is how, how it does have so much relevance for families, too. Because the average parent just spends so much more time um, than the average youth leader with young people. Yeah. Did you Which, see balloons go up I on your did. I had no idea where those came from. That was the bizarrest thing I've ever seen. I wish people okay. had video. Yeah. Wow. Like these animated balloons just went just up on went Scott's up. Like somebody screen. celebrating me today. Totally. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So How uh, festive. But, but that expanded need for community yeah. really leads kind of to the fourth point, which is that we do this together, that we practice yeah. together. So just yeah. about that. Yeah. And I'll say, um, I was wrong on this in the research process. So, you know, you asked about our research and after we visited these churches, we've taken all these notes. Then uh, the part that I love is when we sift through it and, and make sense of it. Okay. What patterns are we seeing? What processes are we seeing? And so as we did that, uh, we initially had a four, four point compass that didn't have practice together in it. So it had the other the others that we landed on, but not practice together. And when some members of our research team suggested practice together, I I, I was like, no, I don't think we should add it. Uh, you know, four is better than five. Hey, you can't um, have a five point compass. Exactly, the fewer points, the better, right? Um, and uh, and plus, I thought, well, practicing together, it's it's part of teach for transformation, which is the third point of the compass, and it's part of making meeting, which is the last point of the compass. So I initially argued not to include it. 
And this is where I was totally wrong because what practice together does is it gets this generation thinking again, not just cognitively, but how, how can I actually act this out or how can I imagine acting this out? And so this is where uh, practice together has all uh, that chapter in the book has all sorts of ideas about how within the context of a youth group, whatever you're talking about, how can you simulate what this would actually look like, not in these 90 minutes that we're together, but in the next seven days. Um, How can we take what's going on in the world? You know, right now, the leading story in the news, rightly so, is the conflict in Gaza. And so, you know, how can we take this that's happening in our world, bring it into our youth group, have a Bible-centered, thoughtful discussion about it in a way that then helps us live, think, pray a little differently for the next seven days. And so sometimes practice together is actually acting, but at the very least, it's it's simulating um, and, and giving young people a chance to really imagine and plan ahead of time for how they'll act this out in the next seven days. Mm. That's great. And the last point is to to uh, make meaning. And you yeah. talked about how, how did Jesus make meaning with the disciples and what yeah. can we learn from that? Yeah. Well, Jesus was a master at using symbols and images. So, you know, whether it's a fig tree, whether it's a camel, whatever it might be, he took actual items and made meaning out of them. And, you know, Scott, in the site visits that we did, we always paid attention to uh, as we spent time with young people, volunteers, parents, and senior leaders, if if all of those groups mentioned the same thing, then that was a sign, obviously, that it was really important across the board. And so with this one church that I was part of the team that visited, um, they every group mentioned how powerful it was at a recent youth retreat that all the young people were given a mask and talked about, you know, masks that they use to hide themselves. And like, I mean, that is such youth ministry 101 right. to talk about masks. I mean, that that and I think, you know, let's write our sins on a mirror or a piece of glass and then erase them. <laughs> like those are, right. there are two quintessential images in youth yes, group. Or on a piece of paper and throw them in the fire. Exactly, exactly. In the last three or four decades, it's those two things. And like for this group, but that mask exercise was such a powerful thing. And I think they did throw them in the trash, uh, trash cans and light them on yeah. fire. So, you know, yeah. they, they do that. And so it was just a reminder for me that, gosh, things that we think are a little hokey, that we think are a little trite can really, can really be part of a young person embracing a truth in a deep and powerful way. So, so yeah, let's go ahead and burn yeah. things in trash cans. And it tends to make meaning with young people. And we'll bring back. It only takes a spark to get a fire. Here we go. Oh, nice. Nice. So many of those old chorus books that we should bring back out. Um, Exactly. So Kara, I love your guys' stuff. I always look forward to the the next volumes. And this is, this is a really great one. Um, But as you thought about this book, as your team put it together, who did you have in mind? Who's the book for? Who, Who do you want to have get connected to this book? Yep. Yep. Well, we wrote it primarily for people, adults who are working with young people who are somehow serving young people, whether that's a volunteer small group leader or volunteer youth pastor, co-vocational, full-time, whatever it might be. As I mentioned, it's been intriguing how parents have been grab- gravitating toward it, but that's ultimately who we wrote it for. And I think one of the things that I'm particularly pleased with is the last chapter in the book helps that adult, helps that leader create a map for what 
this compass means for them. So we provide a really simple handful of questions for each of the five points of the compass. So you can assess how are we doing? Where are we strong? Where are the growth areas? We help you think about who could help you improve in the areas where you want to grow. And so, you know, the much of the book is about what needs to change, but then the last chapter is how do you actually bring about change, which I think is one of the, the best parts of the whole book. Yeah, yeah. There are just a few minutes left in my conversation with Kara, but I want to take a moment and update you on the next few weeks. I'm currently in South America visiting four different countries as part of my new role in ministry. I'm on day 11 of 32 days. I'm hoping to record some conversations while on the road, but there's a good chance the podcast will be on hiatus for just a week or two. So watch your Facebook or Instagram feed and we'll let you know when the next episodes will be available. Thanks as always for joining me in the new creation conversations. Here is the end of my conversation with Dr. Kara Powell. So for folks who want to get connected to the book, it comes out in uh, November 11th? 7th. 7th, 7th yeah. No, November 7th. Uh, but people who want to get connected to Fuller Youth Institute or other conversations around uh, growing young people, uh, to, what are the best ways and places for people to get connected, Care? Yeah, always go to our website, fulleryouthinstitute.org. We have a free email that comes out uh, every week that it, where we take the best research that we are doing and that we know of and share how it relates to real life, loving and serving young people for families or for ministries. So go to fullyethanstitute.org or follow us on social media. We'd love to connect. Okay. And for those young people out there thinking about ministry and youth ministry, they want to go to fuller.edu. For sure. Yeah. I, I think we have some of the best practical and deep training possible. It's very, it's very feasible to do it without moving to Pasadena. Um, and my colleague, Steve Argue is just a brilliant youth ministry professor. So yeah, come check out our programs at fuller.edu. Okay. And if you want to move to Pasadena, it's one of the best places in the world to live. Totally, not cheap, totally. Right? Not not cheap, but some pretty good weather much of the year and great yeah. people. I, I only miss, I don't miss it every day, but uh, two out of three days. Okay, no, nice. Yeah, no, it's great. Um so, Kara, you mentioned just the kind of last question. Uh, you know, you've been talking about this stuff for 18 years, and now you've got uh, three three people yeah. in your home who've yeah. who are in the midst of making that transition from yeah. late adolescence into adulthood. Yeah. Uh, what's God kind of been teaching you in this these new transitions, and and what kind of things have been confirmed and affirmed? And yeah, yeah. Well, I can get really recent, like last night, <laughs> so, so, because because yes, parenting teenagers and young adults is like ongoing formation curriculum for us, right? right. Um, as parenting in general is. So uh, without revealing too many details, one of our kids was struggling with some friendship dynamics. And I'm, I'm really grateful this child reached out to us, called, reached out to me last night, we talked for uh, a, a while about what this child was experiencing and maybe what they had done wrong and et cetera. Um, you know, how to apologize in the midst of this friendship conflict. Um, and I went to bed just a little unsettled about what this child was experiencing with friendship. And so I normally sleep through the night really well, but last night I woke up at two 
and just was kind of ruminating and praying for this for our child. And I felt like Jesus said, not audibly, um, but the Holy Spirit to my spirit, what is just one of the constant refrains for that God has for me these days as a leader and as a, a parent. And that is, let me carry you. Hmm. Let me carry you. You know, I'm an Enneagram three, like achiever. Let me, let me plan. Let me work. Come let on, me create I'm a list. I mean, I was going to say, I think you are too, Scott. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I don't even think I have a wing. I know theoretically you're supposed to have a wing, but like, I'm just a hundred percent three. Um, and, and so I'm all about like, how can I work my way out of something? And with parenting and with what our kids go through, like uh, a lot of times there's no, there's no work we can do. There's no words we can say that unlock the magical secret. It's, it's being with, it's journeying with. And then, like I said, Jesus's message to me these days is, is let me carry you in the midst of this and let me carry your kids in the midst of this. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of lean into that and hold that as a mom myself these days. Yeah. Yeah. Every stage of parenting is beautiful and challenging in its own way. And 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 I talk often about moving from day-to-day parenting to coaching young adults. Totally. Um, Totally. It's been a, it's been a good transition, but it it is challenging and there's a lot of trust. Um, trusting and letting God carry us through this, that, that takes place in these days. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, when our kids are younger, we, we have more control over the consequences that they experience. And as they get older, we have less control. And so how do we, how do we, how do we journey alongside them and accompany them as they're experiencing the highs and lows of life and their own choices? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the book is Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship. And Kara Powell, Jen Bradbury, and Brad Griffin. It's a beautiful book, first of all, from Baker, but just such a great addition to the work that you guys do. Well, thanks. Kara, thanks for your friendship and thanks for the work yeah. that you do. I've pastored three congregations and in each of them, the work Fuller Youth Institute has done is ongoing doing has informed so much of the ministry that, that I've been a part Mm -hmm. of and just really thankful for you and your friendship. Well, thank you. And thank you for how much you prioritize young people. I said earlier, that's one of our biggest questions and, and you have modeled that as a senior leader. So thank you for that, Scott. Thanks, Kara. Well, we're threes, so we got a whole bunch of stuff to go. That's right. Got to go to the next appointment. That's right. So (laughs) blessings on you. Thanks, friend. Bye. Thanks for joining us for New Creation Conversations. Connect with us by liking our Facebook page or subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or other podcast services. If you like what you hear, help us reach out to others by sharing it with someone or leaving us a rating. Our music is a song called Sunny, provided by bensound.com. Our season two artwork was beautifully done by Carrie Daniels. To connect to the Word and Prayer daily, try downloading the podcast New Creation Common Prayer. For great resources for life and faith from a Wesleyan perspective, check out our friends at thefoundrypublishing.com. New podcast episodes are available almost every week. So thanks for helping me keep the church and the academy connected. Now go in Christ's peace.